You're listening to Elevate, the official podcast of Elite Agent for real estate industry sales professionals, property managers and leaders. With thanks to our partner Connect Now, Elevate brings you the best tools, thinking and strategies to elevate your results. To get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast, visit joineliteagent.com. And for more information about how Connect Now can make moving easier on your clients, visit connectnow.com.au. Here is your host, Samantha McLean. Hey, hey everyone, Sam here. Why is it we can set a few smart goals and get all excited by a motivational speaker, but that motivation can fade within days, if not weeks? How can we sustain that motivation, look to the future through a different lens and affect real change in our habits and workplace that are long lasting and have real impact? To talk about what works when it comes to motivation and change is special guest, Dr. Jason Fox. He specializes in motivation strategy and design and was our highly popular speaker at the recent elite retreat on the Gold Coast. So Jason, welcome to the show. It is really lovely to be here with you, Sam. Well, it's great to see you again. As I mentioned, you were facilitating for a couple of days at Elite Retreat in July, and you tapped into a whole host of great insight on what works and what doesn't when you're trying to level up and maintain momentum and change the game in business, especially when times get a little bit tricky. For those that couldn't attend, could you give us a little a little bit of a snapshot of some of the things that you talked about during the event? <coughs> You know, I wish I could. <laughs> I wish I could. It was it was very much a you had to be there kind of thing. I'll try. Um, but there's something about being at an event. I don't know. There's it's all of the the sessions seem to have this this wondrous thread running through it. It was very live and dynamic and interactive and responsive. Like I I love the event itself because there wasn't a huge delineation between the folks up on stage and the folks. Um, in the audience, it felt very co-created, and so trying to untangle my stuff. I mean, I don't know, but I'll, I'll give it a go. I mean, there are some general <laughs> principles that I like to share with this stuff, and I think that um, I guess I shared the the most powerful heuristic when it comes to motivation, at least in my experience, is that our attention, focus, motivation, behavior will naturally gravitate to the things that provide the richest sense of progress. So our motivation, our focus, our attention, our behavior will naturally gravitate to the things that provide the richest sense of progress. Now, that's powerful in and of its own sense um, in terms of how people might think about how they go about their tasks. If you think about your day-to-day uh, work, you, you, might think, you, know, you might think, oh, yeah, we talked about you know, collaboration and innovation in the agency. Um, I'm not sure if we ever do that, but we always manage to do these things. We always manage to do this, 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 this. And undoubtedly, there's feedback loops that provide a rich sense of progress there. The provocation that I added to the mix was, is this meaningful progress? Or are we potentially perpetuating a rich delusion of progress? And that, that uh, and in amongst some of the, the things that other, other contributors had there, I think that was a core theme amongst this, this kind of quest for meaningful progress, the chance to lift our eyes uh, above and beyond the immediate to question like what is emerging and how can we collectively you know orientate towards relevance towards future like what is what is emerging here how can we ensure that the work that we're doing makes sense and is relevant um so that we can not only you know survive amidst all the change but thrive amidst it and i think that that was generally the theme although you know beyond my own session there were there were wonderful um wonderfully deep uh, and insightful sessions that um, 
really grappled with that in the context of real estate, which I which I really loved. So I just want to summarise what you just said then. So because we all get caught up in the day to day, I mean, me included, I'm probably, um, you know, during the churn of, uh, I'm going to just call it churn, but publishing, you know, um, we've got to do a brief every day. We do a podcast every week. Oh my gosh, yeah. Um, there, are, there are other things that we're checking the boxes. Um, and so what you're saying there is checking the boxes is progress. Um, but it might not actually be meaningful when you put it back into the context of our futures and things like that. In yeah, here. and I mean, it's it's also a, it, like, and this is a part of the thing, this is why I like live events or podcast conversations because it allows us to get into a bit of nuance. A lot of the work that we do is actually important. Like we need good operational excellence in place. You actually need check boxes because it saves you having to, every time you do it, if it's a repeatable task, you don't have to constantly be figuring, you know, what am I supposed to do next? Like, it makes sense to have operational excellence. The trouble, though, is when, when that starts to look like 99% of your time is spent doing default activities. And another concept that I shared was this, this, this notion of default thinking. Um, our defaults are the options we choose automatically in the absence of viable alternatives. And when people are busy, when they feel like they're time poor, they naturally tend to favor quick fixes, familiar solutions, and default ways of doing things. Now, these defaults do save us time and cognitive angst, and we need them most of the time, but you know, I would say about once a year, you should probably go on some sort of retreat with your elite peers and step out of your normal default context. Look at the work that you're doing to ask yourself, are these defaults are still serving us or are they potentially creating a delusion of progress? There's, we're so comfortable. We're so familiar with them. We tick the boxes. It gives us a thrill like, oh, I'm being productive. And yet sometimes, not always, like most of them are probably great, but sometimes we're like, hmm, maybe we've kind of lost the point here or we've stopped questioning what we're actually doing or where we're going with this. And and that's what I think that events like the one that we experienced, it's just so vital for because it, it, just, it just allows us a chance to, you know, to get a sense of what is emerging and how we might, you know, navigate the, the, the kind of emerging changes um, so that we, you know, we thrive in amongst it all. Anyway, so that's, that's, that's another dimension there. So let's get on to some of the changes that we might be facing in the future. But just quickly wanted to, I guess, ask you a, an, another question about how do you recognise when is the right time to stop and have a look at what it is you're doing as to whether things need to change? I mean, I stop myself all the time at the moment because things are changing so fast in my world. What sort of advice would you give there? Well, I mean, you and I uh, were kind of lucky in that our our profession, our kind of thing, it requires us to be keeping uh, abreast of what, what is emerging. Like, you know, it, it would be um, pretty limiting to kind of just keep recycling the same stories and stuff like that because we know that the context is changing. For many folks uh, working day-to-day within a particular context, I don't know, it's actually really hard. Like, I actually think it requires sometimes an external disruptor this is okay it's going to sound it's going to start to sound like you've paid me to keep plugging the event this is not the case i i speak at lots of events throughout throughout the year and um there are very few that kind of stand out to me as genuinely refreshing and wondrous i i do think that there is a power of having some sort of annual ritual in the calendar as a disruptor it's you know with with the with it's very hard to say yes to these things day to day because everyone is busy there's always stuff to do. The timing is never quite right. 
But to have it in the calendar, to have it as something to look forward to, to have it as something on your mind, means that it is a seed that is planted where you're, you're thinking, hmm, I wonder what's emerging. Oh, I'm actually going to have some time to think about this. Actually, I'm going to have a chance to chat about this with other peers. And that, that was the other thing that I felt, sorry, I'm going over, as I say, I was kind of help myself. That's the other thing I really liked about Elite Retreat is that there was a refreshing absence of hierarchy and ego. Like with my, you know, misconceptions about the uh, industry and the profession itself, I expected there to be a lot of, you know, pissing contests, you know, big dick swaggering kind of egos in the room. <laughs> it, it, it was not like that. It was genuinely egalitarian and warm and humble and open and generative and that is it's a very special atmosphere and a lot of i know that a lot of subtle work went into creating that space and uh, i don't know i just wish this for everyone like so long story short how do we actually um know when to kind of lift our to stop what we're doing just to kind of reconsider i think it comes down through to the lens of ritual and i i think it's useful to think of rituals as sacred routines where we deliberately carve out time against the grain of busyness to progress the things that matter. I think about it through different time signatures and it's worth us all thinking, what what are the rituals that we maybe do once a year that help to ensure meaningful progress? What are the rituals that maybe we do once a quarter, once a month, once a week, and maybe once a day that help to ensure meaningful progress? It's going to look slightly different for each person, but you know, even daily, I know that some people are like, I've learned this enough about myself is that when I get up, I can't look at email until I've gone for a walk and I've done some journaling or I've done some other things because I know that once I enter that world, I'm just in reactive mode all throughout the rest of the day. And for each of us, it's going to be different. Some people love to get that burst in and they want to have their afternoons and evenings free to do um, the thinking work that they don't get to do. But I think having cultivating that sense of self-awareness and, and having a recognition of the rituals that serve meaningful progress is really important because um, then it allows you to do your busy work with, um, you know, with abundance and to put all of your focus into it because you know that you have these these kind of disruptors um, programmed in. Change is scary and I don't want to turn this into a therapy session for me or anything like that, but, um, you know, when I tend to think about change in business, when things are going along quite well, um, and, you know, there's probably a voice telling you you could be doing something better. And then you think to yourself, oh, well, hang on a second, everything's just working fine now. And the guy down the road's doing it in a similar way. A big expression in the real estate industry is success leaves clues. And, um, you know, we've all seen the, the Getty image of the bluefish jumping out of the um, <laughs> of the fishbowl in amongst all, yep. and, you know, the one that's swimming in the opposite direction. But I'm here to tell mm -hmm. you that actually sort of jumping out of the fishbowl is scary. Like, you know, so... Yeah, yeah. As a leader, how do you navigate that fear of the unknown? Yeah, this is a tricky one. I mean, I think that the fear of the unknown, it's actually important. Um, <laughs> uh, you don't want to be being too silly with all of this stuff. Um, there's a lot of things that I've done out there that, you know, all of your peers start saying, it's not a good idea, you know. Um, when I first, when I was quite young, this was quite a while ago, when I first started growing my beard, a lot of the veterans in the speaking profession were saying, shouldn't look, grow a beard, you look like a terrorist. No one will, no one will, no one will employ you in corporate and so on. And, and 
There is a saying, I forget who said it, it might have been Scott Belsky, the author of Making Ideas Happen. He says that sometimes if you're genuinely pioneering something, you might look and feel like an idiot. And there may be 80% of the chance that is actually the case. But it could be that you're on the, on the cusp of something brilliant. But if we have enough self-awareness to have a sense of the inklings, and as that's you get an inkling, you get a hunch, you start hearing about a particular thing, and you hear about it several times, you're like, mm, I think there's something here. And maybe it's a conversation with someone outside of your profession. We're like, oh, that's interesting. They're going about that. I wonder if we could do something like that. And eventually, there is this intuitive reckoning where you get a sense of that, hmm, it's actually time to start experimenting here. It's, it's genuinely time to just start to start to see if this is this, if this is worth worth doing. And I, and I say experiment because we want to be relatively playful of this and not attached. And if, if it doesn't work out, that's yeah, fine. You know, give it a go. Um, but the the change thing, change requires it requires energy, and this is the challenging thing: is that if we are busy and if we're feeling burnt out most of the time, we don't have capacity for creativity or collaboration or for doing new things. It genuinely means that first of all, we need to look after ourselves. We need to get good rest. We need to actually have time to you know flex our curiosity to read to listen to muse and contemplate and explore and then if it's still humming along ideally ideally we're not feeling alone in this we're not having to do this as, i mean i know that the industry is fairly solo in terms of like the different agents going about the things same with my own professional but um ideally we'd, we have some sort of sense-making group or some buddies that we can bounce with that are genuinely encouraging and enthusiastic and then we just we experiment we play and if the experiment yields results um then maybe we continue it maybe we scale up and and there's a way of just like i'm not one for i don't like the term i don't like the notion of ideas and i don't like it how people launch things and so on i think it's there's a lot of like unnecessary grandioseness to all this stuff a, a lot of it comes down to just kind of paying attention being curious having inklings and hunches and musing and just playing and seeing whether it might work and if it does just kind of adding a little bit more energy and and then you know a year later you get back to the elite retreat and people are saying oh, so what have you been up to and you're like oh, actually i started doing this thing and kind of how it that's kind of how it works yeah, I hope um, I hope people do. Um, we're sort of well in the well in, down the track of planning Bali, so you know, huzzah! Um, huzzah. I know, right? Who'd have, who'd have thought? Who'd have thought a year ago? Anyway, um, uh, but, but how exciting to, to sorry, just okay. how exciting that you've got the. I love the how you set up. There's like the alum because there is a special. There's an intimacy there. There's a, a lovely thing. And it's going to be a warm and welcoming group. But oh, I don't know. I reckon that everyone, anyone who attended would be so excited about what's coming up. And anyone who missed out, you know, I think ought to be very excited about the opportunity to come join. A lot of people said to me at the event, where did you find him? <laughs> like, about you. And as you know, I've, I've kind of followed you for a while. Um, your newsletter and your books 
and um, all of that sort of thing. So, like, let's say that you missed Elite Retreat and you miss seeing Jason at Elite Retreat. He's got a couple of great books. One's called The Game Changer and the other is called How to Lead a Quest. Well, let's start with The Game Changer first because it deals with the topic of motivation and motivating employees and things like that. And I found that book exceedingly useful. In that book, you talk about work that is poorly designed. So can you give me a little bit of a definition of that and, and how we can possibly fix it because I think you know like it, it's rough out there in the market at the moment and I'm sure that there are leaders mm. out there at the moment thinking how do I motivate my team <clears throat> this book emerged when I was doing my PhD my PhD research in motivation and behavior change and I found myself playing World of Warcraft which is a massively multiplayer online role-playing game very cool back then um, uh, and I just got I just got fascinated by it how somehow this game was more effective at sustaining my motivation, focus, attention and behavior than, than any of the supposed goal standard, smart goal setting constructs out there. And I thought maybe, maybe there's some wisdom and insight we can extract from this, apply to the world of work that uh, might yield some interesting results. Now, gamification then became quite a buzzword and I, it, I got frustrated by the, the relatively shallow approach that some folks took with regards to gamification. But if we look at the motivation science itself, it's, it's pretty fascinating. All games are goal-driven, challenge-intense, and feedback-rich experiences geared towards progress. So a game is a goal-driven, challenge-intense, feedback-rich experience geared towards progress. In other words, games are kind of like work. Like, challenge is inherent to any game, be it a sports game, a video game, uh, role-playing game training like there's always challenge at play so people don't play games to avoid work they play games to engage in well-designed work and the interesting thing is when you contrast what goes on in a good game to what happens at work now work has goals rules and feedback most of the work that we have you know you've got certain sales targets there are certain rules legal and conventional that you need to follow there are feedback loops qualitative and quantitative and you start to look at all of the, the work through the lens of game design, you realize, ah, this is such a shitty design game. Like, there are opportunities here to make this work better. And a lot of the opportunities, I mean, if we, we look, look at goals, rules, and feedback, it, it parallels beautifully with Dan Pink's purpose, mastery, and autonomy. Um, goals and purpose, um, rules, and the uh, mastery components, like um, part of anyone who is learning to do uh, martial arts they will be familiar with white belt to black belt there are a kind of structured or tiered levels with certain skills at a certain time as in you don't start to learn the flying dragon kick when you're a white belt because you need to learn how to fall over first otherwise you're going to hurt yourself and it's the same in a lot of the business practices that we do and with feedback and autonomy i mean we come back to this clear sense of progress like it is so motivating to have a clear sense of progress and, and an important nuance here is you don't actually have to be making progress. It's just a clear sense of progress. When you look at someone playing a video game, they're spending most of their time failing, but they're, they're going back to it because every time they fail, they get that feedback loop. It's like, oh, okay, I can do better. I, this is what I'll try next time. And there's a, there's a whole heap of rich philosophies there from the world of game design and motivation science that can be applied to the work that we do, either individually or collectively, or even just thinking about our um, client's journey and how they interact with us. And so the Game Changer makes an attempt to shed some light on that side of things, which, um, which yeah, which, which I, I think is quite profound um, in many ways. 
Yeah, I'm just I'm just going through all the games that I've played in my life, like when I was younger, Wonder Boy in Monsterland, and then nice. Who's that Sonic the Hedgehog? And yeah, and, and now I'm even seeing it in, um, you know, there's a lot of lot in the news about Peloton at the moment. But um, I will not deny that when I bought my bike, um, I looked at one of the blog posts and just went badge chasing, so that yeah. you know, like I could I could actually see. Um, you know, yeah. my progress lined up. So what you're saying there makes perfect sense. It's just, you know, putting it in the context of how, how do we create that framework yeah. around work. And it's, it's putting it in the context without getting carried away or cheapening the work itself. And that's, that's the issue I saw with a lot of, um, a lot of executives. They, they were busy, they were overworked, they were tired, they're looking for a quick fix or a familiar solution or some, or some sort of way to kind of solve it. And they're like, oh, Jason, can you come in and gamify this? It's like, why do you want to gamify it? And it's like, there were some fundamental questions that weren't asked or a bank launching a new product that they wanted to gamify. It's like, eh, maybe gamification is not quite the right approach here. Just like, genuine client empathy uh, at what their needs are and what the relevant you know what the friction points are and what the frequency of the triggers or the touch points are that might be or what scaffolding you might have to onboard them you know th there's 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 a lot to it and this is perhaps the the bridge here I, I wrote the book the game changer it was out in the world people were really excited about it and then i got frustrated by what i considered to be a lack of curiosity <laughs> from the folks looking to um, hire me to gamify stuff um, because there's a principle within complexity practitioners of the un unintended consequences. And sometimes when you bring an intervention into a complex system, it can result in unintended consequences. E.g., if you were to gamify, say if you were to have a website and you're like, we want to encourage people to participate by leaving comments and every time they leave a comment, they're going to get a points and yeah, they'll have, we'll have levels. So you know, the more comments they make, the, the higher up they go. The result is you have people adding shitty comments, just spammy, low quality, gray comments. And people are like, this is so noisy and, and rubbish. Why would I want to spend my time here? And that's where we need to be careful about some of these things because they're powerful. They're super powerful. A smart goal is incredibly powerful. And if it's an incentivized smart goal, which I think it's stuff that happens in the profession, we got to be really careful because that to maybe someone in the profession who isn't as wise, who is maybe a little bit greener, an incentivized, specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, time-based goal could lead to people engaging in unethical behavior just to meet that goal. They could be burning off long-term client relations just to hit that quarterly target. And that's, I feel like, okay, we just needed to be a little bit more careful with some of these things because they're powerful and maybe a little wiser, a little bit more curious and that's where the distinction between meaningful progress and the delusion of progress came about. Because whilst these game design elements and motivation structures can create a rich sense of progress, often it is, at times, it is a delusion of progress. Sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it doesn't really make sense in that it's not actually bringing us closer to future relevance. It's not meeting the genuine needs of our client or, or serving the business where we are now. Maybe in the past when it was created, it made sense, but maybe it doesn't make sense now. But that's hard to actually see when you're in amongst it, which is why we need some sort of retreat or some sort of ritual where we step out of actions. Is this meaningful progress? And the, the kind of the thesis of how to lead a quest is how to venture beyond the default. You have well-established systems and default ways of doing things, and that's great. That served you well. The risk is that one day you'll wake up to realize that what you're doing is no longer relevant. 
And somewhere along the way, you miss the opportunity to pay attention to what was what is emerging. You miss the opportunity to have curiosity and empathy for the emerging needs in the market. And How to Lead a Quest kind of equips you with that and equips you with a sensibility to cultivate a quiver of options, like a, a portfolio of options. Strategic initiatives you might deploy in the future should the right conditions manifest. And you know, anyone who attended the lead retreat would leave with more options on their radar. They'd be thinking about things like, oh, I had never considered that. That is something that I need to kind of pay more attention to. Yep. Well, some of the memories I have of being in the corporate world, you know, I used to um, I used to work for Optus back in the day. And, um, you know, every year when we got the pay plan, we would like literally run through, you know, how we were going to earn the most money, not the most commission, but the, the mm. most money. Mm. And often it was, you know, sort of going the voucher economy you know, selling X number of connections to get a $50 voucher, which was not necessarily mm. the sort of behavior that they really wanted to. Yep. So what you're saying there is, is you know, when you're designing that sort of work and that sort of incentive plan, you really need to be careful of the outcome you might get. And what I what I loved in the, <coughs> in the elite retreat, and sorry, I know I'm dialing up the FOMO for people who didn't attend, but that, that workshop going <laughs> through the very real scenario of someone looking to sell the agency, but then someone's kind of trying to undercut them with another deal. Scott facilitated that brilliantly. Like it was one of those perfectly complex and ambiguous things. There's no clear right or wrong answer. And that the kind of perspectives that surfaced um, revealed a lot of the nuances there. And it also revealed parts of the business that people would typically overlook, um, such as, and I'm, I'm my crude outside perspective here, I might stuff this up, but such as like what, what I really liked as an emergent theme from this is the, the kind of valuing the rent role and valuing the role that the property managers play, which is often, um, I've heard the phrase that the meat and the sandwich, they're kind of, they're getting the crap from all ends, all sides of the business. But, um, but that part of the business is so critical in terms of how businesses value if they're going to get purchased. And, and it just, it surfaced a lot of really interesting, and I think that anyone who was part of that session would have realized, wow, there are whole dimensions that I hadn't considered about this um, that I, I, I now know. It's interesting when you put a bunch of leaders in the room who have differing opinions on, you know, it's, it's almost like a choose-your-own-adventure kind of story. You know, we start with the basic story and then say, well, would you sell or hold? And then, you know, there's a group over here that was, that said that they would sell and then there was a group of people over there that said they, were hold, they would hold. There's a group of people that said the management needed to be fired. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, and, yeah. and these are the... These are the um, decisions that leaders in the industry are faced with every day, um, you know, which are not easy decisions. And Scott was like such a good dungeon master for this uh, this, this adventure game that we're playing. Uh, that's a, if you have, if you're not a nerd like me, that's I'm talking about Dungeons and Dragons here. It's a, a role playing game. But in terms of no matter what unfurled, he just brought in a new but very realistic complexity to it that just muddled it up and he made it very hard it wasn't really well some people thought it was a clear-cut decision others had the complete opposite perspective um you you are a, like you're a fascinating person yourself that studies leaders in other industries a lot what are some of the patterns that you're seeing that might shape the future of leadership so the future of leadership is well it's future of leadership um is one of those official topics now in the keynotes uh, speaking arena and what what it often means is people who book people who want to speak on the future of leadership um, in most enterprise contexts 
are looking for some sort of speaker that will kind of talk about mostly the same things with like a new kind of different twist on it. So that all everyone feels comfortable and everyone's talking about the same thing. But if we're genuinely talking about the future of leadership, and I know that you're on board with this, I would be, I mean, I don't see this much in enterprise land or web 2.0, but I would say that the notion of decentralized leadership, which is a very web 3.0, what did I say? 3.0. It's very 2.0 of me. Uh, very Web3 thing. Um, I'm talking blockchains. I'm talking um, decentralized leadership where you have people coordinating amidst complexity at scale that may be living in different countries that may be pseudonymous, but still there are ways that they can figure out with uh, via a heterarchical approach. It, that means that there are hierarchies, but they're fluid. They kind of emerge and form as needed and then disband. There is a world of leadership that this is that I genuinely believe to be the future of leadership in terms of, and I've, I've kind of gone beyond the real estate profession here. I'm not looking at the whole world. Most of our challenges right now are transnational, like as in climate change is not limited to any particular country. Most of our problems are, are kind of they're, they're global, and that means that we need to kind of coordinate at that level. Um, Multinationals can sometimes do this, but most of the, most of them are hampered by the fact that they have very traditional kind of industrial organization charts where you have um, maybe maybe it's a matrix model or something where there is some sort of distribution of authority and influence, but but most of the time it's kind of bureaucratic and clunky and slow. And so so the genuine answer I would say is um, I'd be looking to Web three and what's emerging there. Um, but the conventional answer that I would give to people who pay me to speak at the events is that I would have to smuggle in that stuff because most people are still <laughs> a little bit allergic to the Web three notion. They don't. They don't. They don't know. They don't know what they don't know yet. There you go. Hope, hopefully, hopefully. But I was I was actually smiling then a little bit because you didn't. Ha- I, I was going to say you didn't have to smuggle in the bit about Web Web three, which now I feel is Web two of me as well. But um, I was, I actually did sort of have a question to ask you here about, because I oh, yeah. know you're quite in, quite interested in the evolution of of the internet as we know it. What do you think the future is for real estate agents? And we did raise it at Elite Retreat as well. How do you think the web, web 3.0 and the NFT space and decentralization and blockchain will impact the real estate industry? So my normal response to this, and I, I kind of have to, temper my previous stuff down a little bit it's really important that we relate to any emerging thing from a fairly disenchanted perspective like we need to be relatively dispassionate because there's all sorts of hype and euphoria and distorted narratives and frankly nonsense in a mastery when we're talking blockchains at a it's in, in a disenchanted sense we're talking about distributed shared databases that are publicly owned and validated no one really owns the blockchain because you have uh, anonymous validators but it's it's there which means that anything that happens on chain is transparent and verifiable and then that's interesting transparent and verifiable now one of the avenues that gets me particularly excited is um, regenerative finance in terms of carbon offsets i mean can you even trust if a company is saying that they've offsetted things that it's actually quality offsets or they're just buying hydroelectric you know credits from some dubious ledger somewhere the blockchain helps to just create all of this in a transparent and verifiable way it just it makes absolute sense to me that if we want to support carbon sequestering uh, and make that more economically viable for folks to regenerate land rather than turning it into yet another palm plantation or whatever that this this makes sense now 
this does have an overlap with real estate. And we're starting to see that buying up land for the sake of ecological services and credits and carbon sequestering is already happening right now. You can actually buy NFTs of parts of the Amazon rainforest in Brazil as part of a project from Moss, um, which is a Brazilian-based uh, carbon registry, to create a land wall to protect the Amazon rainforest from getting deforested. And the folks that own the NFT have a representation which you can track via satellite to see the land parcel that you that you own. But what is ownership? Ownership only exists via social consensus. And so we have social consensus in any nation state because you have a government that can enforce laws via the police and weapon, you know, what is it? They have a monopoly of violence. There is something emerging here when it comes to consensus. It's a domain that we should be interested in and curious about. How this translates into a real estate context, like it's going to bunk up against regulation. It's going to, yeah. But what we've seen with the internet, a lot of the stuff is relatively exponential. So for those paying attention, it will be telegraphed and we'll see like it's quite a while away. But if you're not paying attention, there's a real chance that sometime within the next 10 years, you're going to wake up and be like, whoa, whoa, what's, what's going on? I've, I've missed this. Um, uh, because the, the kind of collective coordination and what is being tinkered out and built on right now is worth paying attention to. I don't want to predict when or how, but I think that um, if you're in the real estate profession and you're not paying attention to this, yeah, maybe you're fine. You know, if you're looking to retire in the next couple of years or, you know, a few years, maybe you're fine. But if you actually care about the industry, the, the profession itself, and you're curious about what is emerging, or if you're younger or new to the space, or if you're intending to kind of keep keep in this space for some time, I'd definitely be paying attention. One final question for you, or one second final question. Um, it has been an interesting couple of years that we've had. I mean, you know, that, that's probably a euphemism for a much stronger word that I could use right now, or several of them. But as a leader, if the last couple of years has left you feeling a bit, a bit like you've been on a roller coaster and you're feeling a little bit not yourself lately, how do you hack your own motivation? Gosh, I, I just really wish that we can create environments where people have each other's backs a little bit more. Um, you know, the, the thing that guides me is um, the fuzzy sense of co-creating a world more curious and kind. And that might start with the folks in your team checking in on each other, like, how are you going and stuff like that. It might mean intentionally having a long lunch with your colleagues, having folks over for a while and just genuinely connecting as people, not just as colleagues, but as people. And in amongst that, it might be time to give yourself a bit of a break, some sort of mini sabbatical, a rest restorative recharge or something. Um, I think that we need to look after ourselves. I think it's really hard to do that because we're in, well, first of all, everyone's busier than ever before, which is something that every generation believes in. But now we have the internet, which has, you know, expanded the thing. Already the boundaries in the real estate profession were pretty much eradicated. There's no sense of nine to five. It's, it's on whenever you're on. Um, and it, myself as a, you know, a small business owner or a practice owner, I guess, Jason Fox Proprietary Limited, it's, it's, it's hard to say no. Uh, you don't know when, when the opportunities, uh, you know, they might dry up. And so you fall into this trap of constantly saying yes to things. And I think, you know, we need the ebbs and flows. And so I guess what I'm suggesting here is just be kind to yourself, to those and your team find opportunities to actually genuinely hang and connect as people. We used to do that quite a lot in work. 
used to be quite common to have beers on a Friday afternoon or, you know, cake and morning tea together. But nowadays we've become so hyperproductive and so focused and so distracted that everyone's individually going about optimizing their own individual performance and not collectively looking out for each other. So I'd just start leading with those behaviors and also just try to include yourself in that too, in amongst the kindness that you're spreading. Jason, it's been amazing to catch up with you again and I hope we can keep in touch after this. There's so much knowledge in there that you know uh, I mean you've just that you've just shared with us today as well which is amazing so thank you for that if there is one final thing that you would like to leave our audience with what would it be Uh, one final thing um gosh I would I think okay one final thing gosh okay (laughs) sounds so trite of me if you can't make it to elite retreat do something similar for yourself um I think that the what the event, the, the rhythm that you're putting on is a very, very important annual ritual. And I'm also conscious that you, and, and I know that you know as well, you don't want to swell this up to be a really big thing. There's, a, there's something quite magic about the number of folks attending. This is not going to turn into some big theater-style event that you just rock up to and, you know, hear a bunch of the default pithy charismatic, you know, witticisms from the latest whatever topic of the month and then have a bit of a piss up and then go home and then what do you what do you have really just a few bunch of um you know quips to share at the office maybe i know you, you've got something very special here and you want to protect that and i know that that means that a lot of people aren't going to be able to you know they're just literally going to miss out because the tickets will sell out um but that if you do happen to miss out or any event you can actually cultivate these rituals yourself like one of the things i talk about in the game changer is that we have the capacity to change the game we can shape the games that we play and so if you're listening to this and you are feeling a bit tired or a bit busy or a bit burnt out, maybe it's just a chance to have to take stock and look at your calendar and think, what are some like little rituals that I can start to cultivate or rekindle? Maybe you've had some of these things in the past that have served you well. How can I bring that back into the mix so that so I'm not running on default 98% of the time, that I'm maybe giving myself a little bit of time to reflect and recharge? I think that would serve you very well. Especially leading into the holiday season, that's great advice. Dr. Jason Fox, thank you so much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Elevate podcast. With thanks to connectnow.com.au. Don't forget to get access to all of Elite Agent's premium resources, including a detailed episode guide for this podcast. Visit joineliteagent.com. 